0: On episode 263 of the Tennis Files podcast, I'll reveal the six lessons that I learned from Nick Kyrgios at the 2022 City Open.
1: Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad.
0: Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Really pleased to have you listening to this one. And one of the most favorite parts of my year just finished up, and that is the week of the City Open. It just actually finished with Nick winning the singles and doubles uh, championships as well as Yoshihito Nishioka reaching the final against Nick in singles. And funny story, Yoshihito was the second ever interview at the City Open that I did on site, which was about seven years ago. So it was pretty cool looking back at that. Um, I don't think I even had a microphone back then. I just... uh, had the audio feed through the camera, but uh, yeah, really fun tournament. Kai Kanepi uh, defeated Ludmilla Samsonova in the women's final in three sets. Actually, got to meet one of the members of her team, Dave Marshall, which was pretty cool. And I hope to get him on the podcast at some point. Uh, he also uh, is on uh, Benoit Paris' team, who, if you've been on my Instagram page, I uh, have a nice photo of myself, my dad, and Benoit as well as some other players from the Players' Party, which was that first Sunday, um, the second day of qualifying. And uh, as I think I mentioned, Nick Kyrgios won the doubles as well uh, with his friend Jack Sock. Um, they defeated Austin Krajicek and Ivan Dodig uh, in straight sets. And then in the women's dubs, Jessica Pegula and Aaron Rutliff defeated Anna, uh, excuse me, Anna Kalinskaya and Katie McNally. So, um, yeah, just, uh, it was so much fun. I went to the tournament every day, except that first Sunday and it just became a routine. You know, after work, I would just go and watch tennis and try to learn as much as I could and also just have a lot of fun seeing a lot of tennis friends there. So that's, that's, uh, just living the life there. Very, I felt very blessed. And um, I saw, I think, five Tennis Falls podcast guests there who were playing, including Jamie Loeb, Sophie Chang, Noah Rubin, Tyson Kwiatkowski, and Dennis Kudla. So that was pretty cool. Uh, I think I mentioned last, on last week's episode that I went to the players party, and that was really fun chatting with the players as well and meeting people there. And um, my good friend, Will Hamilton from Fuzzy Yellow Balls, who I practice with regularly, he actually had a suite down there at the City Open. So it was really cool to hang out with him. And he invited a bunch of uh, fantastic tennis instruct- uh, instructors, including Scott and Nate from Player Court, Peter Freeman from Crunch Time Coaching, uh, another great friend of mine. And uh, we went out. After I think Wednesday night tennis, uh, it might have been Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, I think Wednesday, and yeah, that was a long night, but uh, it was really cool, just connecting and talking about tennis and the industry and uh, how to improve it and so forth. And I also met Andrew from Cult Tennis, which was really cool. And after the uh, the women's doubles finals, there was a little, um, I guess, Q and A session, very short one at the City Open tent or the City. Where you, I guess, you needed a credit card from City to get in there, Um, but I was able to uh, raise my hand and ask one of three questions. Um, Well, I guess three people got to ask questions, and I was one of them. And I asked Jessica for um, for us club level doubles players, when we are struggling in a match, what should we do? And her answer was basically to go back to basic patterns and try to focus on executing them, which was really great advice that, you know, I think you all should think about and implement. So that's, uh, that's one pre-tip, I guess I could say, but, um, this episode is about six lessons that I learned from Nick Curios. And, uh, like I said, you know, when I go to these tournaments, I not only try to enjoy myself, um, seeing friends and so forth, and meeting people, but also learning from the best players in the world. So the first lesson that I learned from Nick is uh, just analyzing his serve and the, the, you know how much a lower ball toss can help your serve motion. To preface this, Nick Kurios, uh, I believe, did not get broken the entire tournament. And when you have a lower ball toss, um, which I'm sure uh, this, along with his physical attributes and athleticism, has contributed to the, um, you know, the, this amazing serve. When you toss the ball lower, you definitely uh, encourage two things. One is that you encourage a loose arm, um, the whip-like uh, motion that you that you see with the hitting arm, and also you help prevent hitches on your serve. And I've seen this as well from some other instructors online and it's just um, confirmed by Nick's motion where, you know, if you toss the ball up uh, pretty high and whatnot, then, you know, you, you have more time. And especially if you bring that hitting arm up at the same time as your tossing arm or even earlier, then there's just a lot more time for you to just play around, you know, and like, I guess, drop the arm, the racket too early or just like open up the racket face or whatever. But when you toss the ball up lower, that gives you less time so you are going to have a smoother motion. And I actually implemented this the day after the final. I went on the tennis court and lowered my ball toss. And I also had my tossing arm go up earlier than my hitting arm. And coupling both those together actually uh, enabled me to get more miles per hour on my serve and it felt more whip-like, and um, yeah, it was definitely a great uh, improvement. So um, that's the beauty of going to these tournaments. Um, you know, you can see what the pros are doing and implement it. Uh, so uh, that's the first lesson that I found was just the, the lower ball toss and and the serve benefits that you get from that. Uh, the second lesson from Nick Kyrgios is the importance of a serious and focused mindset. As we all know, Nick can just go insane on the court and this was the most focus that I've seen in a long time and Nick also corroborated this. He mentioned um, in a uh, post-match interview that he felt like his motivation is a lot higher than it used to be and that he wanted to capitalize on what he felt was um, an advantage because he had made the just made the Wimbledon final, and he felt like his opponents uh, definitely feared him on the court. And so, Nick, you know, while he did have some of his usual mutterings to his player box, he didn't have any sorts of prolonged outbursts. Um, and I saw a ton of matches. I felt like I was watching Kyrgios like every other match almost, just because of you know. I think he played nine matches, was it? Eight or nine matches? Um, Yeah. So I think it was like five or six for singles and then four for doubles, something like that. So um, yeah, it was fun though. I mean, he's such a great player to watch and he's so athletic. And he had an incredible match with our hometown favorite, Francis Tiafo, where the first two sets were tie breaks. And um, Francis had five match points, I think it was, in the second set, albeit most if not, all of them were on Kyrgios' serve, and another funny tangent is that well, it wasn't funny for uh for for Francis, but um Nick curios he he didn't wait um on his serve, so there were I think at least two match points where the crowd was still in the middle of cheering and i and people were yelling stuff out, and Nick just went ahead and served, and he served. <laughs> He served an ace, I remember, very clearly on one of those um, match points. And uh, yeah, I guess you have to play to the server's pace, but that was definitely something that you don't see very often. Usually players will pause and wait for the crowd to be quiet, or maybe the re- the um, chair umpire will tell the crowd to be quiet first. But anyways, I mean, you, know, you just compare Nick where... He used to tank matches, and I'm not saying that he never will, I don't know, but, you know, he used to tank matches, or he was just really unfocused to the point of um, just like blasting the ball with no real um, serious intent, but in this case, he was very focused, he wanted to do really well, and, you know, when you couple that motivation that he talked about with um, his talent and weapons, then it, it... Resulted in him winning both the singles and doubles titles, which is a great achievement. Obviously, so uh, lesson number three is the importance of having big weapons uh, that I think I just mentioned. Kyrgios's serve was unbreakable, as I mentioned in the in the entire city open tournament. Uh, his forehand was just too big as well, especially in doubles. It was very interesting watching. Jack Sock, who has clearly one of the heaviest forehands in the game, if not the heaviest. And then I think there might be one or two other players, but his is definitely really tough to handle. And then also Kyrgios's forehand is obviously, uh, you know, the modern forehand. His is really heavy as well. And I would see them playing, um, you know, some of the greatest doubles players, you know, Ivan Dodig, uh, you know, is one, obviously, who he played in the final with with Austin Krejcik. and when those guys, you know, had a forehand that they, they, they just ripped it. And the doubles, specialists really had a hard time getting those four, those, um, those shots back, you know, oftentimes they would hit it, uh, volley it long or volley it in the net. And these weapons are, it's just really important to develop at least one big weapon. I mean, can you imagine, like, you know, you, you at, at your stage uh, you know, your, your um, NTRP rating, whatever it is, a 3.5, a 4.5, and then you have, like, a serve like Kyrgios or even, like, half of his serve? That would really make your level uh, much, much higher, and uh, when when Nick was in trouble, a lot of times, I mean, he would just serve a couple huge serves, and that was that, and, um, If you have like a big serve or a big forehand or better yet both, then you are going to go far. So I definitely would highly encourage you to work on, you know, one of your favorite shots and make it a weapon so that you can take command and try to divert the point patterns to that weapon or weapons. Lesson number four from Nick Curios that I learned. Um, it's kind of the it's not the opposite of what I just mentioned, but it was very interesting to see that Nick, I mean, Nick's backhand, I I almost no, I won't say it's ugly, and you know, I mean, I can't say that I have the most beautiful backhand technique, but it's not the prettiest looking backhand. It's really not much of a backhand. I mean, it still gets the job done, though. I mean, a lot of times it looks like he's just bunting the ball back, just getting the ball back in play. It's a very flat shot. He can rip it if he wants, but the vast majority of the time, Nick Kyrgios is using his backhand to stay in the rally and set up his forehand. Uh, If you've heard about Craig O'Shaughnessy, who I've had on my summits before, he talks about the sword and the shield, and the sword is the forehand and the backhand is the shield, and... Uh, you generally want to be trying to hit as many forehands as you can. Just, you know, all the stats show that that's the way to win. But as long as you have a consistent backhand, you can win your matches with other stronger parts of your game, like the serve and the forehand, for instance, uh, or if you have um, a great net game. But, uh, you know, like 90% of the time or more, I, I just watched Nick get his backhand back in the court, just hit it cross court or maybe divert the ball once in a while. But never really going for just, you know, just getting the the back end back with some decent depth, and then when he got his four, in, he would take control, um, and and yeah, that was pretty much all he needed to uh, to decimate the entire field. Lesson number five, cinco here is even the pros miss easy shots. You know, I saw this some from Nick, but. Also, uh, some uh, certain other instances that I saw from other pros as well. Um, There was one early round match. I think it might have been the second round of qualifying. I want to say JC Aragon and his opponent, who was like, um, I think he's representing the US, but was born in Brazil. Uh, Really good player. He actually won the um, Australian Open Juniors. Maybe I can click around while I stall by continuing to talk here and I'd be I'll be able to find it. Maybe just give me another sec here. Um let's see, J Oh no, actually it was the first round of qualifying. So it was Bruno Kuzuhara, just in case you're curious. I mean, he won the Aussie Open Junior, so he he's pretty good. But it was very interesting because the very last game. So it was five four uh, Aragon, and I think he was ser- he was up a break and serving to you know to win it, and then it was add in, and he had a sitter, really easy sitter forehand, and he hit it long, and I said, okay, interesting, interesting, and then Kuzuhara uh, then won the deuce point, and then he had. A really easy sitter forehand as well, and you're thinking, okay, I mean, Aragon missed. That's fine, but this guy's gonna make it now, and he missed the sitter forehand. And you know, I think myself and um, a lot of a lot of us, maybe four or five plus four oh, maybe would probably make like uh, I'd say at least seven out of ten of those shots. But you know, it kind of gave me comfort in a weird way, maybe not so weird that you know, even the pros are missing shots. We're not robots. Everybody misses uh, and makes errors some of the times. Also in the doubles, I was watching um, a great friend of the podcast, Sophie Chang. Her and her partner, they played a great match. They uh, were up against Sloane Stevens and her partner in the third set tiebreaker. And uh, Sophie's partner got pretty tight. And Um, They were, uh, did I just say this? They were up 7-4 in the tie break and then Sophie's partner um, pushed a backhand extremely tentatively out um, uh, to the side, past the double sideline. So, and then when she returned again, I forget if it was like 8-all or um, yeah, something like that, then again, the opponent, it might have been Sloan, served it to her backhand and then she just... Got She was really tight again and then pushed it into the net. Um, Really, you know, not much use of the hips and just more of the arm and whatnot. And, you know, again, like she's a really good player, professional. But it just goes to show you that being tight isn't just happening with club level players. Um, So that was very interesting. And just remember that everyone makes errors, everyone gets tight and when you accept it then it's going to help you to not beat yourself up when it does happen because when it does happen and you beat yourself up then it only just reinforces just negative negative vibes and the negative thoughts that oh you know that's that that's my personality that's who I am I'm a choker blah 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 instead you say oh you know it happens, move on, boom. Just like um, Federer does You know, when you listen to his press conferences. He just shakes it off. He's amazing at that. Hope to see him again uh, playing soon. Um, and I don't know if you all heard, but uh, it's, I think Serena's last tournament will be the U.S. Open. Um, she definitely mentioned that she'd be retiring this year, so um, that's interesting. And uh, obviously, you know, the legends are slowly... Um, phasing out of the game, I guess. Uh, and then lesson number six, to go back to the lessons uh, from Nick Kyrgios, is the power of having fun. And what I noticed most of all is that throughout the tournament, Nick was smiling and trying to pump up the crowd and joking with his opponents. He had some amazing points in particular. Again, I remember uh, one with, or several with Francis Tifo, where, uh, you know, just like they both had incredible shots and Nick, closed one out with like a, with a half volley or like a super low volley where he was like stretching and lunging for it. And then he just looked at TFO and smiled and then TFO smiled back. Um, And then Nick and Jack Sock were constantly joking around the doubles. I'm trying to remember who they were playing, but it was a semifinals, and they, it was a third set tie break and they're just like laughing Every point, and it was pretty cool to see that. And I think you know when you do that, it just fills you with positive energy and helps you play better, rather than worrying so much about the results. And congruent with this is that probably the most uh, told advice, you know, when I ask my guests what is your one piece of advice that you can give us to help us improve our tennis games, they have said. Just have fun. I know uh, Rick Macy has said this and some others. And, you know, it seems so simple and cliche, but you really do have to remember this. I mean, I always try to remember, well, you know, as much as I can to just be grateful to be able to play this great game and just to have fun. And when I do that, then it's more fun. And, you know, I just play with joy and usually um, I'm pretty satisfied with, you know, my effort and so forth. So, um, those are the six lessons that I learned from Nick Curios, and I hope that you enjoyed them and that, you know, you are able to learn something, uh, at least, you know, take one of these pieces of advice, implement them in your game. I'll review them again. Number one, a lower ball toss on the serve and its benefits. Number two, the importance of a serious and focused mindset. Number three, the importance of having big weapons. Number four, that you don't need to have an amazing backhand to win matches, as long as it's consistent. Number five, even the pros miss easy shots. And number six, the power of having fun. So there you go. Really appreciate you listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and got value from it, I would really appreciate it if you would... Leave a review for the Tennis Falls podcast. You can do that by going to tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts or leaving a review, hitting that review button on your favorite podcast app of choice that you lose, uh, use to listen to the show, whether that's you know Spotify or Google Podcasts or whatnot. I just find that Apple Podcasts moves the needle the best in terms of um, getting the show to be more visible in the rankings. Therefore, more people will see it and more will be helped. Appreciate that again. Uh, and let me give you a quote, as I often do at the end of the show. And this one is by Leo Buscaglia, if I pronounced that right. And oh, I'm a Leo. That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just had my birthday recently. Uh, and Leo said, change is the end result of all true learning. I uh, really love that quote. Thank you, Leo. And with that, thanks so much for listening and really excited to bring you uh, some a great interviews coming up. I was able to connect with a lot of people at the City Open, which was fantastic. So definitely going to have some fun and interesting interviews for you and perhaps some fun tennis stories as well from these individuals who I will reveal gradually on the show. <laughs> so with that, thanks so much and have a great one. And I'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. This is your host, Mirabha Naranjad, signing out.
1: Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.